we are very, very uh, excited and very blessed to have with us Archdeacon Mark Solomon. He serves at uh, St. Paul uh, Coptic American Orthodox Church. And uh, Archie, uh, when he saw that we have a good amount of kids, he said uh, he didn't want to leave them out of the talk. So he wants to like just dedicate a few minutes at the very beginning so uh, to talk to the kids. So if we can have the kids come up, I think the majority are sitting here. So maybe you guys can uh, join them here if they're still awake. Just that's out. Uh, any other kids like just hang out here on the yeah come on sit right on here on the on the on the in the middle and then um we'll uh we'll have Archie talk to them for a few minutes the parents one i think we'll all benefit from listening to, to uh to his talk even to the kids all right it's late you guys are heroes as far as i'm concerned i'm back i'm vaccinated so i'm gonna take my mask off and stand six feet back um, so, uh, I wanted to, I know I need to wear my mask. This guy's been telling me to put on my mask this whole time. So, you know, when we look at Holy Week, it's a very special week and it seems like it's a very sad week because if you look around, you see lots of black, right? So we hang these black banners up around the church. And if you noticed, all the deacons were singing, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that uh, left cheek was going to go numb soon. Um, so I'm in church, that's right. So um, the, what was I saying? So, um, and you noticed all the deacons were singing very slowly and very sad. And there's so much slow sadness at church during Holy Week. And we notice in the morning, I don't know if you guys are here in the morning, but people are doing matanyas, which means they prostrate themselves and we fast extra. So why is the church so sad? Are we sad for Jesus? Some people are saying yes, and some people are saying no. And so I look at this icon here behind me, and it's the icon of Jesus being crucified. But yet, what are we saying over and over and over again? What did we say over and over, like a hundred times today? Who remembers? Thine is the power and the blessing and the glory and the majesty. Yes. In English and Coptic at the very end. Good. Yes, Habib. That's right, Jesus died for our sins. So all week long, we're saying thine is the power and the glory. And we're saying it to this icon. Now, what if someone came in from the street? Wouldn't they think that's kind of strange that we're saying thine is the power and the glory to someone who's crucified? Wouldn't they think it's kind of strange? So do you think we feel sorry for Jesus? What happened when some of the women were crying on the day of the crucifixion, Jesus said something to one of them. Does anyone know? He said, yeah. Oh, he said that to Peter. But he said to the women, he said, do not cry for me. So the women were crying for Jesus. And he said, don't cry for me. Cry for whom? Cry for yourselves and for your children. So this black that's up here, is it for Jesus or is it for us? for us. Am I sad for Jesus? No. Why would I be sad for Jesus? What's Jesus going to do in three days? He's going to rise from the dead. 
And where's he going to go? He's going to go up to heaven and be with his father. So I don't need to be sorry for Jesus. I don't feel sad for Jesus. I only feel sad for my sins. Why? Because my sins are the ones that crucify Jesus. Yes, Habib. That's right. So after, after Jesus was crucified, we can all go to heaven and be with Jesus. In fact, that's why Jesus died with his arms like this, right? He died with his arms wide open for everybody, right? So even when he died, he died in a very loving way. And that's why when you look at this icon of St. Jesus, of, Saint, of Jesus, it's late, um, we, uh, <laughs> we see that Jesus doesn't look that sad. His eyes are closed, but we don't feel sorry for Jesus, right? He's, his eyes are closed, and he's, he's, he's being crucified, but it's not a very emotional icon, right? And we see that his arms are wide open, and even though the Marys and St. John are sad because they're going to lose him, that we don't feel sad, right? In fact, what do we say all week? Thine is the power and the glory. And so... The question is, and now we're going to transition to the parents a little bit. I have a long talk prepared, but I, was, I think we're running late on time, so I, I don't want to say it ends. You can tell I'm saying St. Jesus, so I'm already out of it. Um, the question is, the power of death, is that really a thing? So we're saying thine is the power and the glory, and we're saying it to a crucified man. I imagine that if someone walked in off the street, they think we're nuts. That you would stand in front of someone being executed and you'd say, thine is the power like a thousand times over the course of the week. And so is the power of death actually a thing? Absolutely. For him, it is. And so we even say that his death is life-giving, right? It's more... Um, the dead in Christ will rise, right? So we start Holy Week with Lazarus's death and resurrection, and we end Holy Week with Christ's death and resurrection. And in the middle, it gets kind of bad. If you want to imagine, it starts on a high note, right? Christ walks in into, you know, he, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He walks in on Palm Sunday. It's good stuff, right? And in the end, he rises from the dead. Good stuff. But in the middle... Right? We have G Judas selling him and lots of pain and lots of you know, tears and lots of you know, betrayal and lots of, lots of bad things happening. So is death a good thing or a bad thing? There's the answer from the mouth of babes. I know we all cry when people around us die. And obviously this year with COVID, I'm sure many of us have been touched by somebody or know somebody who's passed away because of that. There's been a lot this Lent. And COVID, I think, revealed to us a tremendous amount of fear, didn't it? I mean, we saw real fear with COVID. People were scared. I mean, it started with the toilet paper, but then it got worse. And, and it revealed to us a fear of death, a real fear of death. And you can see it in the way people interacted and in, their, in the way 
they processed the news, right? In fact, what was the number we were all really concerned about? ICU beds, right? That was the number, the percentage of ICU beds. And what was that about? That's, look, if I have to go to ICU, I want a bed. I don't want to die. I don't want this thing to get me. And when people react like that to death, it doesn't go well. It gets ugly because it's driven by fear. So COVID, I think, showed us a lot. St. Paul says to the Thessalonians, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So Monday's readings were a lot about death, the death of Adam, the death of the fall, God saying to them, death, you shall surely die if you eat from this fruit. So there was a lot of talk about death. And ultimately, death is foreign to us. You see, that's why we react when people die. Although we know intellectually death is a part of life, we don't react that way, do we? That's right. This guy knows everything. You should, you know, here, you come give the talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, so death ultimately isn't natural. And as we say in the liturgy, death entered the world through the envy of the devil, didn't it? So lots of things entered the world with the fall of Adam, right? Death entered the world. Oh, Rami's your dad. Ah, Shankida, I get it now. Tell you a story about Rami. When, when Rami was just a few years older than him, I was giving a talk at St. Mary, and Rami did the exact same thing. I could actually tell you exactly what I said and what Rami said, but that's not important. That was over 30, 40 years ago, generation to generation, the ages of all ages have been, right? So, <laughs> so we say that death entered the world through the envy of the devil. So death is foreign to, to mankind. Disease, corruption, sin, death, all of this entered the world. COVID entered the world. This was the consequence of the fall. God told Adam, eat of the fruit and death you shall surely die. Absolutely, Habibi, this kid's awesome. So I wonder if we fear death and all the fear we saw about COVID was about death or was it after death? Are we really afraid of death or are we afraid of what's beyond death? And I think it's the latter. I think we're afraid of what's beyond death. And that's the part I wanna talk about a little bit today. This threat of death can rob us of our joy. It can hang over our heads. And especially when it comes to the forefront like it did during COVID. And it can spread a lot. That's right. And it can spread a lot. And so death, ultimately becomes this thing. And sometimes it actually paralyzes people. People actually, go to mommy. People actually deal with it differently. Some people, and you know some of these people, they don't go to funerals. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want you to, you know, when their parents start talking about the will and they're like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. Because they want to pretend like it's not there. 
right? They want to pretend like it doesn't exist. Some people deal with it differently. Some people try and get like really healthy and they just, you know, eat kale, right? And it's like, you know, that's not going to work either, right? And they take all kinds of things. Some people just use material things and they try to just buy stuff. Mom watched her. Right? I saw a bumper sticker once on a car. It said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And you can see what his, the attitude is. I'm sure it was a he. Right? Just buy stuff. Buy the car, buy the bigger car, buy the boat, buy the bigger boat, buy the house, buy the bigger house, buy the one with the pool, buy the one with the view. Just consume and forget. And then a lot of the youth, they have a, they have a saying, they say YOLO. Right? You only live once. So they're not, they're, they're trying to live too much. They're trying to get as much as they can out of life before they die. Every experience they can find, they try to get it. And then some people are so paralyzed on the other side, they're like, what's the point? We're all going to die anyway. What's the point of happiness? What's the point of children? What's the point of anything? So death can paralyze us. And so the, the, the question is, what is our right reaction to death? How should we look at it? We should use death as a smelling salt. You know, a smelling salt, when someone's kind of unconscious and they're still breathing, you put these salts up to their nose and the salts give them a, a jolt. They react to the salt. Death should be like that. It should be a salt, a smelling salt that awakens us from the false belief that we're going to live forever. Every funeral, every opportunity to see it, we should look at it and we should see our end and we should think about it. And we should have the perspective that Paul had. He said, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Wow, that's perfect. That's the right attitude. You stare at death and you say, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Right? You kind of want to have what Paul's having, right? That very healthy embrace of his own mortality. He says, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, we might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And he continues, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. All their lives held in slavery by their fear of death. Sounds like COVID. Sounds like a lot of people I know. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. And that has to be our focus. You know, in, in, in a lot of churches, when they have the icon of the crucifixion, right, so this icon, right next to this icon, they'll put the icon of David and Goliath. Does anyone know why you would put the icon of David and Goliath next to the icon of the crucifixion? You see, I love TNT. You see, David never faced a man, or sorry, Goliath never faced a man he didn't kill. Goliath, every man that faced Goliath, Goliath killed until he met David. And then David killed him. And on Palm Sunday, we said something in the, in the Ephlogimenos hymn. What did we say? Hosanna to the son of David. So who's Christ? He's David. And who's Goliath? He's death. So David conquered the unconquerable. Goliath was the unconquerable, the one who gets everybody. And then David stood up to him.
and Christ, we say, trampled death by death, and he conquered death by death. In fact, one of the nice things about the story of David is how did he kill Goliath? Now with the rock. He just knocked him down with the rock. He took out Goliath's sword, and he killed him with it. He used Goliath's sword against him. He used Goliath's weapon to kill Goliath. And we say Christ trampled death with death. He used the weapon of the devil, death, against Satan. Right? And that's why we put this icon next to this, the icon of, of the crucifixion. So let's go back to Lazarus. So we all know that Lazarus died twice, which sucks. So how do you think the second time went? How do you imagine Lazarus died the second time? I mean, I think, do you think he was scared? I don't. I think he was laying in bed, big smile on his face. He's like, I got this. I know how this goes, right? It's kind of like when you're, you know, you're going into a courthouse, right? And the judge is about to rule and you have a signed, you know, um, uh, a signed pardon from the governor in your back pocket, right? And you're waiting for the judge to say whatever he's going to say. And then you're going to take out your signed thing and you go, there it is. Boom, drop it and just walk out. So I imagine uh, Lazarus didn't have a fear in the world. Why? Why didn't he have a fear in the world? Because he already died. Because he already died. So let's bring this back to me. I don't want to fear death. How do I go about doing that? Do I need to die as well? Yeah, I do. I need to die in Christ. That's exactly what we do as Christians. So I'm going to read you a couple of verses. Well, from Romans, our death in Christ starts with baptism. You guys know that, right? Oh, aren't you aware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For we, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. In fact, that's why Abuna dunks the baby how many times? Three times for the three days that Christ was in the tomb. So we participate in his death right from the very beginning, but it doesn't stop there. I was talking with one of the youth, and I said, how is Lent? And he said, Lent sucked. It was hard. I said, yeah, it was hard for me too. He said, it killed me. And I thought about that expression. It killed me. And I was like, yeah, that's the perfect expression. That's exactly what Lent's supposed to do. It's supposed to kill you. You're not supposed to come out of Lent feeling good, right? I mean, if you come out of Lent and someone says, how is Lent? You say, it was great. I rocked it. There's something wrong with you, right? You obviously didn't fast the same Lent I fasted, right? Lent I fasted, I started messing up like seven minutes into the fast, right? That was, that's how long I lasted, right? So Lent is not supposed to be pretty. It's supposed to be a battle. 
It's supposed to be a battle against myself, my ego, my will, my desires, my lusts, the things I want to do. And it's not a pretty battle, right? It's like, you know, the gladiator that comes out and looks really bad at the end, and he won, right? And he's got puncture wounds and all kinds of things on him. So that's what Lent is. It's a battle. And I love that expression. It killed me. So I'll read you some more verses from Romans. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Also from St. Paul. St. Paul loves the cross. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. Those of you who have kids, you know what this is like. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Corinthians, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. From Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians, you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Timothy, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Does anyone see the pattern? That's what we're supposed to, this is what Christianity is all about. And so it ends with Philippians, right, when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So now dying isn't the problem. It's the solution. It's kind of what we're, we know we're on earth to do. And so the summary of all these verses is Christ took on death so that we can live. Because, you know, the human is the only animal that knows it's going to die. Right? I mean, you know, average lifespan of a male is 78.4 years. I'm 50. I can do the math. Right? On average, I know I've got a lifespan and I know it's going to end. My cat, on the other hand, has no idea. Right? Cat doesn't know it lives on average 12 years and it's 9 years old. Cat has no idea. It just kind of lives until it, you know. But we lived with this blessing and this curse. I mean, it could be a dog, too. I mean, just my cat is particularly not very smart. They're so cute, though, but they're not smart. Okay, I digress. Stay focused. It's late. Um, what are you talking about? So a human knows about their ending, and this can paralyze people. And in fact, we're the only ones that know how we're going to end. And so Christ taking on death allows us to live. He comes in and he says, what's the biggest problem you have? And you can say, my kids, my job, my boss, my husband, my wife, my service. No, 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 bigger. What's your biggest problem? I got to get into medical school. I got to take the MCAT. I got to get a new job. No, no, bigger. I got to retire. What if I get sick? My parents have cancer. Bigger. Your biggest problem is you're going to die. That's your problem. And Christ comes and he says, I'm going to take the biggest problem you have. I'm going to take death. And I'm going to take it from you. And as all the verses we just read show us, he takes death so that we live. So that we aren't paralyzed by fear. We aren't paralyzed by our mortality. We aren't paralyzed by COVID or whatever the next pandemic is that comes along. Okay, so let's bring this back to Holy Week. How do we die with Lazarus? 
So I imagine the life cycle of a Christian is a lot like Holy Week. In fact, Holy Week is like a, a, little, a little snippet of life. Christ comes in as a Savior, right? Good Palm Sunday. And we bring in Christ when we're baptized. We accept him. And then once he comes in, what does Christ do? What does Christ do when he comes into our life? What did Christ do when he came into the temple, the temple of our heart in Jerusalem? What did he do? Huh? He flipped tables. He flips tables. That's what he did. So when he comes into Jerusalem, he flips tables. Do you think that's what people expected him to do? They were thinking, hey, this is the guy that turned five loaves and two fish into a lot of food, right? This is the guy that made water into wine. This is the guy that heals the sick. I like this guy. He gives us stuff. What if the story ended differently? What if the story says, and Jesus entered the temple and saw the money changers, and he touched the tables and the money tripled? What if that's how the story ended? Would anyone be surprised? No. That's a good, that's a reasonable ending to that story. No one would have been surprised. In fact, I think that's what the Jews expected him to do. They expected him to walk in. They're showing him their money changers. Like, look at our money changers. And they're like, oh, this guy's going to touch the thing. And all the money changers are like, hey, touch my table first. Bless it, like you did the five loaves and the two fish. But he didn't do that. He flipped the tables. And this is ultimately what Christ does when he comes into our life. He flips tables. Don't expect that when God comes into our life, and I'm not talking just about baptism, but I'm talking when we accept him as adults, really accept him. And I don't mean accept him once. I mean accept him every liturgy, every time we pray, every time I come in contact with God, every time light comes in contact with darkness, light always wins. And so every time God comes into my heart, he flips tables. What's on the table? Money. And it reminds us of the verse, you cannot worship God and mammon. You cannot worship God and money. You cannot worship God and the world. If he sees the world in our heart, be prepared. It doesn't end well. He comes in and he shakes things up. And we're so used to wanting God to be, you know, the cosmic, you know, vending machine, right? You know, I say a few, uh, you know, folk titi gums, I fast a couple of days, and then you give me a Mercedes, right? That's how this is supposed to work, right? My kid gets into medical school. That's how this works, right? I fast, I do things, I give to the church, and then you give me more. But that's not the Christ we worship. The Christ we worship comes into our lives, and he changes it, and he turns it upside down. And we have to be prepared for that. So I'll make my final point. This morning we took communion for the first time in a few days. And if we really believe that the Eucharist is the Eucharist, if we really believe that we've taken the body and blood of Christ, and we really believe all the stuff we say, then where am I in this icon? Look at the icon. Where are you? You're in Christ, aren't you? Not just 
symbolically or spiritually, no, we say Eucharistically, mysteriously. So if that's really the body and blood of Christ, and as he says, I'll read it to you. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. But there is the bread which comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am that living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. If he is life and I eat him and every as, as bread is digested, every cell of my body absorbs the nutrients from that life, then I become life. Then that crucifixion isn't just his crucifixion. It's my crucifixion. Just as St. Paul said over and over and over again, we are crucified with Christ. And his resurrection in a few days is my resurrection. I want to read you from Tuesday morning this this came up on the, on the prophecies, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'll end here because I know everyone's tired. I mean, I'm not, but everyone else is, I'm sure. My son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation. I had like five different people text this to me that morning. My son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation. Set your heart aright and be steadfast and do not be hasty in the time of calamity. The time of calamity comes. Cleave to him and do not depart that you may be honored at the end of your life. Accept whatever is brought upon you. Accept whatever is brought upon you. And in changes that humble you, be patient. For gold is tested in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in him and he will help you. So as we serve God, he comes in and he flips the tables and the temptations come and Lent happens and a part of us dies and a part of us gets crucified. All of us are old enough now. We've all been married. We have kids. We know what that means. A part of us gets crucified. A part of us dies, and that's okay. That's the way it should be, because there is no resurrection without crucifixion. I can't participate in the resurrection if I haven't been crucified with Christ first. So this is our daily struggle, our daily life with God. It's not an easy road. In fact, the, the hymn that we say tomorrow, the really, really long one, the one Sean's going to say forever. Which hymn is that? Huh? Pecatronus, right? It's the longest hymn in the church. And what does that hymn, what does that psalm say? Thy throne is forever and ever. And I want, I want to ask you why you think the church just goes on and on on that, on that psalm. Thy throne is forever and ever. And we're saying it to the crucified Christ. So where's the throne? The cross. So what kind of king is this? If his throne is not a comfy chair like this one, it's a cross. And his crown are thorns. What kind of kingdom is this? Is this the easy kingdom? Is this the piece of cake kingdom? I'll read you what St. Macarius says. 
He says, if you love the glories of men and desire to be worshipped and seek comfort, you're on the wrong path. <laughs> you must be crucified with the crucified one, suffer with him that suffered, that you may be glorified with him that is glorified. So this kingdom is one of the cross, but that's okay because death leads to life. In fact, God teaches us very beautifully in nature this very lesson, doesn't he? I mean, not here in Southern California because we don't have real, real weather, but anywhere else in the country, right? What happens every winter? Everything dies. All the deciduous trees lose their leaves. Everything dies, and you think, wow. But then the spring comes, which, by the way, is what the word Lent means, and then everything comes back to life. Life springs forth from death. And it's almost like God wants to give us this little lesson every single year. And we, we match it with Lent, right? Lent is during the spring, right? And it leads to Easter, which is always you know, during the winter, and it leads to Easter, which is always in the spring. And so this is the lesson of the crucified Christ. This is the kingdom that we follow. And the only joy in life is in that crucifixion. So let's take it back. How do I rejoice with Lazarus on my deathbed? How do I have a smile on my face if I've already died? Right? And that death is one that we live with Christ, where he holds our hand. We take the Eucharist, and we are mystically united with him in that crucifixion over and over again, and we are mystically united with him in the resurrection as well. And glory be to God forever. Amen.